That uh, key reminder, of course, is that's a description of God's love. And so unfortunately, our human love does fail us, doesn't it? Absolutely. Um, welcome this morning, whether you're in, here in person uh, in this room full of folks or you're joining us online, either way, we're so, so thankful that you've chosen uh, to be here with us on all the different platforms that are out there and everything. It is, it is awesome to have you here. And, and it's fitting that video ends the exact same way we ended last week in, in that Transformational Church series. The reason the Transformational Church is not afraid to fail is because our motivation is Christ's love for us and His love never fails. And that's how we can be so bold in that statement. Uh, today's topic, uh, that of, of marriage, is the beginning of a short series here before we get to Easter, our Easter series on relationships. This week is going to be all about marriage. Yes, next week is going to be all about families and our children. The next week will be followed by our relationships with each other, our friendships. And then finally, the most important relationship we can have on planet Earth, our relationship with God. And all of these relationships are strategically under attack in the world in which we live. Every single one of them the world wants to destroy. Every part of every one of them. The world wants you isolated. The world wants you alone by yourself because then you are vulnerable to the attacks, of course, of the evil one. It's been his strategy since day one. So as we start today, I want to start with some different words of the Apostle Paul. Now, if you know Paul's history, the best we can tell Paul was not married. For whatever reason, Paul was not married. He was a single adult. And he writes these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift and another has that. Now, if you open up that full text, which you must do to study Scripture responsibly, you'll learn that Paul is specifically talking about marriage in the context here. And this verse is in the middle of advice for married couples or for widows. So you could read that verse to say, we are all given different gifts. God gives the gift of marriage to some and to others he gives the gift of singleness. So what could that possibly mean? Well, simply it means this, not everyone is supposed to get married. Did you know that? Now, I know that's not an American ideal, but that is a godly one. If you wondered, am I a person, if you're not married, if you wondered, am I a person that has that gift of singleness, whether you have been married in the past or you just have never been married, there's a really easy question you could ask yourself to ponder at least. If you've ever said, you know, I'd really, 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 really like to be married someday, it's unlikely that you have the gift of singleness. Because literally, when God gives someone that gift of singleness, it means that they are perfectly happy, perfectly content living their life not being married. And that is a spiritual gift. It's a spiritual gift that allows the individual to fully focus on and commit the, all of their love then to God. They will only be concerned about the affairs of the Lord, is what Paul goes on to write in chapter 7, verse 32. Their interests are not divided. So if this is a gift that God has given to you or to someone that you know, embrace it. Do not let society or family or friends force you to give up a God-given 
gift. Do not be discouraged by that gift. I know that's an impossible thing, maybe, in our culture. I understand that. But it is a very special gift, and very few people possess this gift. And if you are here today or you're watching online and you happen to be a person that's in that phase of life, because Paul's words could have easily been written to widowers as well, not just widows, and even those that have been divorced could fit into this category of then being content with their life in Christ from then on. If you're here with us today and you have that gift, then understand the importance of what I'm about to share with everyone else that is married or would like to be married one day. The reality is this is the foundation of God's plan for humanity, this idea of marriage. And it has been systematically destroyed by the world. And as people of God, we must be the ones fighting for it. Because if we aren't willing to, who will? I'm going to be very, very honest with you. There are really not too many biblical examples, if any, in the scriptures that show us an example of what it looks like to fight for a marriage. It's not really a, a context that's described in the course of the relationships of the Bible, but what is definitely in the Bible are God's mandates for marriage, guidance on how to treat one another, how this relationship brings honor and glory to God, and how important this relationship is to Him. So whether you've never been married before, whether you're divorced, or separated, or widowed, or currently married, regardless of what state you're currently in. This next verse applies to every single person listening. It comes from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, and it simply says this, marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. Marriage should be honored by everyone. No matter your current situation, no matter the past that you've existed in, we are all to honor marriage and what God wants for our marriage. Sadly, as you've witnessed in the culture in which we live, marriage is no longer honored in our society. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Today, marriage is dismissed as irrelevant for most people. It's archaic. Who needs to be married anyway? Maybe it's something for another generation or maybe another culture. They may claim that it's a man-made lifestyle choice, but that's not the case. It's demeaned by so many people. People even blame it for ruining your career. Today, more than ever, people are delaying that idea of marriage. If they choose to get married longer and longer, did you know the average age for a female to get married now is now 28.6? Most everybody in this room was married long before that. For men, it's 30.4. It's crazy. In 2018, only 29% of Americans aged 18 to 34 were married at all. Now, there can be very good reasons for delaying a marriage. I'm not saying that's always a bad idea. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> but for today's society, the reasons people delay or don't get married at all are 100% selfish. Marriage has been redefined, as you know. It is discouraged. It's disrespected. We do not live in a culture where marriage is honored by everyone, as Scripture asks us to anymore. And unfortunately, Christians have fallen for that trap. So I came across a list of six 
Six reasons why God gave us marriage. Now, this is not an all-inclusive list. There absolutely could be more things to put on this list. I would encourage you to grab one of those note cards out of the seat back in front of you, and just real quick while I intro this, jot down a few of the reasons that you think God gave us marriage. Just, Just jot a couple down. See if they made this list. Maybe not. Maybe they need to be added. See if you can guess all six that are on this list. I bet if I went to the street 60 or 70 years ago and asked people, give me six reasons, for marriage. I bet people would guess at least four or five of these without any hesitation. Today, if I went to the street and asked this question, if I got more than two, I would be shocked and amazed. Marriage has a very specific purpose as designed by God himself. Nobody knows that today because people don't know God. And as a result, marriage is just treated like another one of our personal lifestyle choices that we choose to make or not. And that is not true. It is far more important than what our culture realizes. As a part of God's plan for humanity, marriage is essential. The the rebuilding of the marriage and then the family upon these foundations, imagine how God could use that to solve, cure many of our society's problems. Now, it wouldn't solve all of them. No, not at all. Further, actually, marriage doesn't solve your problems. You might have figured that out. Marriage actually won't solve any of your problems. That's not God's purpose for marriage. Some people flip it the other way, though, of course, and say, well, that marriage is the cause of their problems. You might have even heard someone say, I didn't have any problems until I got married. Sure you didn't. Keep telling yourself that. See, marriage doesn't solve your problems, but marriage doesn't create your problems either. Marriage does this. It reveals your problems. If you are a grumpy person, your marriage is going to reveal that. If you're a perfectionist, your marriage is going to reveal that. If you're fearful and insecure and you worry all the time, guess what? Marriage is going to open that door wide and easy for everybody to see. If I'm bitter I'm angry, I'm controlling, I'm manipulative. My marriage is going to reveal that. Marriage didn't create any of those issues at all. Now, you might know people that have gone through several relationships, maybe even several marriages. A counselor once said this, said it this way. They had one of those people in for counseling, and that person said, I don't understand. I've been married so many times. My relationships are just awful. So the counselor asked a very simple question. What do you think is the common denominator in all of those relationships? Mm Mm-hmm. You are. You know what most of the problem with most of our marriages is, right? It's it's, it's me. It's you. We're, We're the creator of many of those issues. Each of us bring problems into those relationships, and marriage simply magnifies what's already a problem, but no one had ever gotten close enough to us to really expose that issue before. So we're going to look at these six reasons why God gave us marriage as a way to remind us why we must fight for ours, why it is so important. We've got to make these things, and I'm sure some others that you might add to the list, a priority once again. We must be the example, first and foremost, for our children. And then if you don't have children or do, either way, your coworkers, your friends around you, for the world around us, because they do not know or see a purpose for marriage at all. And it's so sad. So here we go. First, and this is not in any kind of uh, uh, priority order other than the last one is the most important. I will tell you that. The first reason God created marriage is simple. It's for the connection of men and women. 
God created marriage for the connection of men and women. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul writes, In the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. In other words, we need each other. Do you know how radical that entire statement I just read from Scripture is? Let's just start with the man and woman part. It's crazy. Many people believe today that uh, women, I don't need a man, man, I don't need a woman. Why would I? Now, if you've been given the gift of singleness, we might be able to talk about that. But even with the gift of singleness, I still believe that God designed us to be in relationship with one another, even if it's not a marriage relationship. God created you. And whether you ever get married or not, you're going to need, if you're a man, women in your life. And women, you're going to need men in your life. We can go all the way back to the very, 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 very beginning in Genesis chapter 2, when God creates Adam and then waits. He doesn't create Eve right away. Why? Why did he wait to create woman a little bit later on? Why didn't he just make them both at the same time? He could have easily done that. I think there's probably many reasons, but there's one very specific one that I think God used because God created us men and he knows how we are. I think he did it for Adam's benefit. He wanted Adam to realize how much, how important it was for him to have this other created being, this woman in his life. So he gave Adam a task. Adam didn't know the task he was given was impossible. There was no way Adam could have ever found a suitable helper. Never would have worked because there wasn't one yet. Adam had to admit, God, I, I can't find one. I can't make it work. I can't fix this, God. <laughs> he had to rely on God to provide what he needed. And so God did. And the Bible says in Genesis 2.18, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper, a companion who is suitable for him. I'll make a companion who is right for him. Again, all of these ideals are in opposition to the wisdom, which we talked about a few weeks ago, the foolishness of the world today. We are called to understand and see that marriage, that gender, that sex are God-given or God-created things. So that first purpose, the connection of men and women, is a cure for loneliness. God knows it's bad for us to be alone. Look at what's happened in the isolation that existed through and since COVID. Even the World Health Organization, probably not many of your favorite organizations in the entire world, they released a study that told us that at least 25% increase in the prevalence of anxiety and depression worldwide as a result of the pandemic. Take it more personally, in the United States, 56% of adults ages 18 to 24, 48% of those 25 to 49 reported an increase in symptoms of anxiety or depressive disorder during this time period. Why? Because it's not good for man to be alone. That's why? There's a reason. God designed us to need each other. He created the other then that we each need. Jesus reaffirms this truth, Mark 10, 6 through 9. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they no longer are two, but one flesh. Therefore, let God, what God has joined together, let no one separate is there anything in what I just read that the world teaches today? Not one component of that verse is taught in our world today. The world doesn't believe in the creator. 
The world doesn't believe that God made males and God made females. And God chose what he wanted you to be. This is an important scripture. This is an important verse for you to understand and not just understand, but believe and hold up as truth. It is so relevant for us today. Now, the passage says three specific things about marriage as well. One, marriage is God's plan. It's God's idea. It's not a human plan. It's not a human idea. It's not a tradition that we can just throw out. God invented marriage when he invented humanity. The second thing this verse teaches us is that marriage is between a man and a woman. I didn't say that. Paul didn't write that. The church didn't come up with that. This is Jesus speaking. This is the Son of God who spoke these words. He's been with God since the beginning and, in fact, is God. I think he knows. Yet somehow we humans think that we've figured out things so well that we can just override his plan because we have a better one. Now, there are a lot of other relationships in the world. Absolutely, they are, and they're very important. But marriage is between a man and a woman. God even created our bodies to fit together perfectly for that very purpose. The third thing this verse says about marriage is that it's to be permanent. We'll talk about divorce a little later on, trust me. But it says that what God joins together, God is the one that joins us together in marriage. No one has the power or the authority to separate what God has brought together. In other words, it's meant to be permanent. It's meant to be for life. Again, all three of those statements are so radical for today's culture that marriage is God's idea and God's plan, that marriage is between a man and a woman, and that a marriage should be permanent, all of those have been dismissed completely in our American culture. The world does not believe any of those anymore, but because the world doesn't believe it, does that make it any less true? Don't think for a moment that the world has the power and the authority to dismiss God's creation. I can tell you as a pastor, I don't have a whole lot of requirements when, when folks ask me to do their weddings. I love being a part of those, but I do have a few. I do have a few. The couple must commit to entering a covenant relationship between not just each other, but between each other and God as well. We cannot leave God out of the wedding ceremony. You've all been to weddings lately, haven't you? You wouldn't have a clue if that person was a believer or not or anything else. God wasn't even mentioned at those ceremonies. I also won't let their, their vows sound like a junior high love letter because they're worthless. I will love you as long as the sun shines. What happens when it's cloudy? Because <laughs> that does happen sometimes. Yeah, it, it's true. I love you because you make me feel so wonderful. You know what? Anybody that's married, that doesn't always happen, does it? Mm, they don't always feel, oh, I love you. You're so pretty. You're so whatever. Uh-huh, they are. And they'll probably be in your eyes forever, but you both will look differently later on in life, won't you? Are any of those a basis for love? No. No. Those are all I love you if. That's, not, that's all conditional. That's not the love that makes a marriage last. Marriage is to create a bond that lasts a lifetime. The second one, this is an obvious one. We won't spend a whole lot of time on that. For the multiplication of the human race. Yes, God created marriage for the multiplication of the human race. I know it's kind of obvious, um, if you aren't aware of this, um, if you're here in person or you're listening online, the reason you're here today is because a male and a female got together and here you are through the miracle of conception. And absolutely, it is a miracle. That was God's idea. And God populated the earth through the fruit of marriage. Now, please note that since the fall of man, 
God's perfect plan has been corrupted by sin. His perfect plan does not always work the way that He intended it to work from the beginning because of our choices as man. Throughout history, there have been those that were unable to conceive in the way that God created us to conceive. This is not those individuals' fault. It's the outcome of the fallen, broken world that we live in. If you know younger couples today, you know that seems to be getting harder and harder for conception to happen. And I cannot tell you the exact reason. It's something that we spend a good deal of time talking about in premarital counseling, that this is a a reality for so many people right now. And I, I don't have an answer. I don't know. God has not revealed that to me, the why. But here's what I can tell you. There are more and more and more children all around us who are being abandoned and abused. More and more kids without parents to provide for them. And if you followed the news this last year with the end of Roe, our prayer is not only that there'll be more and more children saved from that evil, but that there will be caring, loving, committed marriages, godly men and women, husbands and wives who step up to adopt those who are in need of a family. Because if you didn't realize it, adoption, that's God's idea as well. It's this beautiful picture of unconditional acceptance and love that we receive when he brings us into our family and then we, many of us, get an opportunity to share with others. Let's finish up the second purpose. Genesis 1.27, so God created mankind in his own image. Here it is again. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. It just keeps saying that. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number or multiply. So first, we're created male and female, and we're created in the image of God. That is a key. It is so important. However you might feel about yourself, never forget you were created in the image of God. And here's the hard part. Whenever you look at anyone else, I don't care who the anyone is or what they've done to offend you, they too were made in the image of God. Never forget that. But did you realize that the very first command, this is Genesis 1.27, the first command that God gave the human race for the two to become one flesh and for the two to go and make babies. Yes, it's true. The first command he gave us. I contend that might be the only command of God that the human race has continued to follow. I'm just saying. You can agree or not, but whatever. The third reason God created marriage, and this is a big one. If you watch the news this week, I've got a perfect example for you, for the protection of children. Did you know that God created marriage for the protection of children? If you've studied, if you've done any research, read anything, we all know that kids are better off, and they're happier, and they're healthier physically and mentally growing up in a stable family with a mom and dad. Did anyone watch the news this week? Because if you did, you know exactly where I'm going. There was an interesting statement made by a politician. She said this, The extremist group, the Family Heritage Alliance, said this morning that the safest place for kids are in families that have a married mom and dad. What a dangerous and un-American belief. That's 
That's what the world thinks, folks. I'm not making that up. That was straight out of the headlines this week. Just so you know, I'll introduce you to the Family Heritage Foundation. It's in South Dakota. Here's their, their four principles they stand for. Uh, first, that God is honored. Uh, religious freedom flourishes for families to thrive and for life to be cherished. Man, that's radical. Oh my goodness, what, are, what I can't believe. Yeah, that's the world we live in, folks. That's a reality. That is the way people think. It's dangerous. That is dangerous. That's evil. It's just straight evil. That's just what it is. Initially, protection in the human race is obvious. Human babies are among the most helpless things on all of planet Earth. They can do absolutely nothing for themselves. Even many mammals are up and running around within just a few hours. We can't even lift our heads, all right? So keep that in mind. We can't feed ourselves. We can't clean ourselves. We can't even roll over. There's nothing that we can do. We can barely even communicate. It takes us a while to even figure what to cry out for with those two things, of course, quickly being food and needing a diaper of some kind. But God's call, a plan upon our life, goes much further than just clothing and nourishment. We families need to raise up, guide, protect, raise our kids up in the ways of the Lord. And most importantly, we need to love them the way that God loves us. It needs to be a safe place of unconditional love, a love that represents God's love for us. There have been countless studies, and they still keep coming, on the impact of marriage upon children. Even in our culture today, these studies continue to accidentally reveal the positive impact of having a mother and a father in the home of a child. The U.S. has the highest rate of children living in a single-parent family. Did you know that? The average is 23% here in our country. The world average is 7%. We're the developed nation. 41% of children are born to unwed mothers. For women under the age of 30, that number actually goes up to 53% of children born to unwed mothers. For those that are living together but not married at the time of a child's birth, that relationship is twice as likely to fail as an actual marriage. In other words, kids are more likely to grow up in a home where they have a TV in their bedroom than they are a mother and a father in the house. Think about that. Children from single-parent families are twice as likely to suffer from mental health problems as those living with married parents. 90% of all homeless and runaway children, 63% of teenage suicides, 85% of children with teens with behavioral disorders, they come from fatherless homes. They're 70% more likely to drop out of school, and on and on the list goes. I don't even want to share anymore because it makes me sick to see what Satan has done to the family in our country. And then we've taken it a step further now, where those leading our country, those in education, those in politics, those in science, those in medicine, those in psychology, they've all partnered with Satan, knowingly or unknowingly, in his agenda to destroy the family. They refuse to admit when even their own statistics accidentally prove that one of the most important reasons God created marriage between a man and a woman was for the protection of children. Now, please understand, not all marriages are safe for kids. They're not all beneficial for kids. We adults, we can still mess things up pretty good. And there are places where we need to remove kids from situations, absolutely. 
Some parents will do evil things. Some will just flat out fail to protect their kids. This is why as a married couple or as a single longing to be married one day, we must commit to the ways of God, period. We cannot follow our own ways. We certainly cannot follow the ways of the world. We have to fight for our marriages and for our families, which we'll talk about next week. There's an interesting proverb, very short, that shares this exact purpose. Proverbs 14, 26. Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for their children it will be a refuge. (laughs) Those who obey the Lord and His teachings, His principles, those who do life the way that God created it to be done, they will create a safe place for their families. And that is what every child needs growing up, a place of refuge and security where they are loved, a place where they're not worrying about mom or dad leaving, a place where they're not worried about mom or dad getting arrested, where they're not worried about being neglected or abused. God created marriage for the protection of children. Number four, God created marriage for the perfection of our character, for the perfection of our character. Now, it's in this relationship that we best learn how to be unselfish and how to be loving. No relationship in this world has a greater impact on our life than marriage. Not only were we helpless when we were born, but we're very quick to learn how to be self-centered, aren't we? Understandably so. We got to learn how to communicate our needs so that we can survive as a baby. Unfortunately, many people only become more and more self-centered as they grow up, quote unquote. We all know people that are like that. Don't look at the person sitting beside you. If you're beside your spouse, that will not help. As we mature, we got to grow up. That's a problem in our world. Maybe you've realized that. I don't know. And we've got to begin to realize that life is not all about me. God's Word reveals to us the joy that comes in giving your life away, being unselfish, serving and loving other people. It's not about me. I don't often use random Bible translations, but this one was just so good I had to read it to you. It's, it's from the contemporary English version, which isn't like a fringe version at all, but, but we just don't use it very often. Proverbs 18.1 says this, it's selfish and stupid to only think of yourself. <laughs> I just love the way it was put. Yeah, you can't really argue with that, can you? So how do we get out of that rut? How do we grow up? Well, marriage is a lifelong course in learning how to be unselfish and how to love. Because once I get married, I realize very quickly that I can't just think about me. I now have to think about we. How many of us, and I do want to show a hands here, how many of us who were married quickly after we were married learned that once we're married, we can't just do whatever it is that, that we wanted to and or used to do? How many of you learned that principle? Okay, if you're not raising your hand, you're either not married or you're lying. That's the only option. You can repent later. It's okay. You've got to learn to compromise. It's part of it. You have to learn to think of the other person. You see, when we accept Jesus, his spirit then begins to transform us into his image. God wants us to be more like Jesus. If you are married, likely the number one tool that God will use in your life to build Christ-like character is your spouse. Every day you get tons of opportunities not to think about yourself, but opportunities to think about the other person, to care about them, to show them how much you love them. Some of you might be in a relationship where your spouse is not a believer. 
That happens. Don't worry about the past. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about how you got to this point. Here's what you got to do. You got to focus on right now. Focus on right now. God can and still will use your spouse to help you become more like Jesus. And here's the thing. It is through your love and your selflessness toward them that God will win them to Jesus one day. So don't forget the role that you're still to play, in, even in that kind of marriage situation. The purpose of marriage is to make me holy, not to make me happy. Quite the opposite of our culture, but it's the truth. When you begin that transformation toward holiness, that is imparted to us by God himself. Then and only then can you begin to experience happiness and contentment and joy even within that relationship. Marriage helps us become more loving, more giving, more serving, more, more sharing, more mature, more unselfish. All of those equal more like Jesus. Here's the problem. Most of us pursue happiness by trying to do things for our selves to make us happy. That will never work. It will always be just out of reach. Don't believe me? Read the book of Ecclesiastes. It's what the entire book is about, someone pursuing everything this world has to offer and finding out it is all meaningless. But you see, when you care about other people, when we start loving and serving other people, putting their needs above our own, then not only happiness is a result, but love and joy and peace, yeah, a lot of those fruit of the Spirit are results of that kind of pursuit. That is how God wired humanity. Romans 12, 9 says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor or respect one another above yourselves. I'm asking specifically about marriage. How, why don't you in your marriage have a competition to see who can show the most respect. I'm going to be more respectful of you today than you are of me. Go. I'm going to love you more today than you love me today. Go. How would that change your relationship if that's how you saw each other? You might be in a place in your marriage right now where you are beginning to ask some very hard questions. Why is this relationship so stressful? Why aren't we getting along? Why do things seem to be falling apart? My question back to you is simply this. Is your relationship founded in the love of Jesus? Do you, don't look at your spouse, don't think of your spouse. Do you, are you committed to loving your spouse the way that Jesus loves you? Do you put them above work, above your friends, above your hobbies, above your gaming, above the kids? Yes, your spouse comes before your children. Did you know that? Ephesians 5 shares that truth. You can investigate for yourself. Out of that kind of love comes a connection and a companionship that gives you the strength and the stability to handle stress, temptation, and even tragedy when it comes. Now, there's two more that we're going to go through, one of them very quickly so I can get to the, the final points at the end. God created marriage number five for the construction of society. It's true. Marriage is the fundamental building block of every community, church, state, nation, society, and culture. History teaches us that where marriages and families are strong, cultures, nations, even empires are strong. 
When marriages and families are broken, then you will find a nation that is in decline. It's pretty obvious which direction our country is headed, isn't it? Why? (laughs) Obviously, because we've first left God out and his plan for our lives. The reason we can know how to love, how to cherish our marriage and our family is because of the example that God alone gives us. There is no other source. There is no other example of love, no other model to follow other than God's perfect love for us. That video said it so well at the beginning. I've got to do in our culture, our culture will tell you that I've got to do what's best for me. We've made individualism, personal pleasure now our highest possible good. Proverbs 14, 34 says, righteousness, doing it God's way, exalts or lifts up a nation, but sin, not doing it God's way, brings condemnation or disgrace to any people or society. I think we see that being lived out right now. Our nation has chosen to dismiss God in every way it possibly can. Our marriages and families have paid the biggest possible price. So church, it's up to us to fight back. How do we do it? We fight by loving our spouses, first and foremost, the way that Jesus loves the church. Our God and our relationship to him is the only thing that goes above that marriage relationship. God created marriage, here we go, for the connection of men and women, the multiplication of the human race, protection of children, the perfection of our character, the construction of society, and finally, number six, the most important one of this entire list, and I guarantee you the world does not know that this even exists. Some of us might not even made our list if we wrote one down earlier. But this is the primary, the deepest, the most profound reason that God created marriage between a man and a woman and the unity that then exists when the two become one flesh. God created marriage, number six, for the reflection of our union with Jesus. You see, marriage is, is a metaphor. It's a symbol. It's a living object lesson of how much God loves us and how we are to be in a relationship with him. Marriage is a model of a profound spiritual truth. It's a metaphor showing us how we are to relate to God. Paul is the one that explains this in scripture. And in scripture, he's talking specifically about the church and Christ. But he uses marriage as a metaphor to explain it. It's in Ephesians chapter 5. It begins this way. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. How much does Jesus love the church? Well, I just said. He sacrificed his very own life for her. He died for the church. And he tells us that husbands, we need to love our wives the same way. We need to be willing to die for our wives. Sacrificial love. It might require physical death. And there's probably not a man in the room that's married that wouldn't give their life for their wife. And so that's not even what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, will you give up your life for your wife? You see, because we forget Jesus didn't just come to offer his life. That wasn't the only thing he gave up. Jesus gave up everything to come to begin with. His stature, his place in heaven, all of his power and authority in heaven, he gave up to come and live amongst us, to be like us. We must do the same, men. Sacrificial love for our wives. Um, The needs of our wives need to be met first. He, Christ, died so that he could present her, the church, to himself as a radiant church without stain, wrinkle, or any blemish, but holy and blameless. Same thing. Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, 
but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. Again, the world doesn't know this exists because mankind does not take care of their body any longer. They do not love their body. They do not take care of themselves. So if you don't take care of yourselves, how could you possibly learn to care for someone else in that same way? Verse 31, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and wives must respect their husbands. Paul goes back to quoting that passage in Genesis yet again. We just can't get away from it. It's everywhere in all of Scripture. He tells us that he's really talking about the church here. Wait a minute, I thought you were talking about marriage, Paul. No, no, I'm actually talking about Jesus in the church. Husbands and wives, a metaphor. It's a metaphor of the spiritual union with Christ and his love for his family, his body, his bride, the church. This passage absolutely could, should be its own message series. We don't have time for that today. But I can tell you this, no other relationship on planet Earth, including the parent-child relationship, no other one, can adequately illustrate the union with Christ the way a marriage between a man and a woman does. And this is the number one reason why marriage matters, because of the illustration it offers. This is the greatest reason why marriage cannot possibly be redefined. It is the strongest reason why it must be protected and fought for at all costs. You see, it really doesn't matter what other people think about marriage. I hate to tell you that. It doesn't matter what public opinion is. It doesn't matter whether it's politically correct or not. What matters is simply what God says, because he is the creator of marriage. And we live in a culture that has forgotten all of the reasons why marriage matters. We live in a culture that does not honor marriage. But it is interesting. Even in our society that doesn't value marriage at all, when you come across the marriage that's lasted a very long time, that's still celebrated, even in our culture. I wonder why. Do you think it's because that still deep down inside, even the most vile of humans still recognizes the beauty and the sweetness of that one woman, one man relationship, committing themselves to love one another for life? So how do we fight? This is how we end today. How do we fight for a marriage? I'm going to give you four very simple things to do in order to fight for that marriage, whether your marriage is perfect as it is right now, or it might be headed in the wrong direction, it feels like. Number one, pray together. Pray together. There is no other way, no better way to be united as a couple than standing before the throne of God and opening your heart to Him. In that position, before God, what can you hide? What defenses can you put up? Better yet, what barriers could be broken down? What wounds could be healed? What forgiveness could be asked for or offered? What grace could be extended? Our most intimate human relationship intertwined with the most intimate relationship that we can have, that's the one that we have with God. And it doesn't have to be filled with big words and long poetic phrases. No, no, no. It needs to be honest and loving. If you and your spouse have never prayed together before, I'm challenging you to give it a try. Just for the next seven days, start today. See what God begins to do. And then would you please share with us how God is moving in your relationship, what you're learning, what you're experiencing. Just send me an email or a text or text the office, email the office, whatever. Please, we want to know so we can share. We won't use your names 
but we want to let people know. Second, play together. Have fun. Remember all that you did in order to get married, what you did to win your bride, what you did to capture your, the attention of your husband, all of those things that you did together when you just loved being together. Now, your interests might have changed. That's fine. But keep doing them, whatever them is. Is it harder? Yes, especially if you have children. Then the younger they are, the harder it is. But do it anyway. I read this from another pastor. He said it this way. If there were more courting in marriage, there would be fewer marriages in court. It's true. It doesn't have to be big and fancy. Open the McDonald's app, buy you a $3 combo, split three nuggets a piece, get ice water. Three bucks, it's all it'll cost you. It's not hard. Depends on your phase of life, what you're able to do, maybe financially. Keep it simple, but make it intentional. Have fun together. Enjoy this relationship that God has given you. As a matter of fact, I'll give one caveat. If you did go out this last week for Valentine's Day, congratulations. If you didn't, go out on a date this week. I know, it's not on your schedule. It's not in your calendar. I don't care. Do it anyway. Have some fun. Some of us don't even remember the last time we went out just with our spouse to just hang out. Do it. Pick a place. Leave the phone in the car or at least on silent. Don't get it out. Don't be scrolling through Facebook. Stop it. Spend time together. Be creative. Number three, this one is huge. Serve together. In our marriage, we are called to love and serve one another above ourselves, yes? So what if those two forces of love and service join together with that same attitude of love and service and intentionally served others together? Now, I can actually tell you the answer to the what if here. When couples do this, it is beautiful. It's beautiful. Because you get to watch each other and you get to see God work through your spouse in serving other people. And it is the most beautiful thing you could ever see in them. It will take your relationship to a whole nother level. Not to mention then the example of love and the example of relationship that you're showing to other people. Now, a perfect place to do that, this is not just a plug for us, but it's the truth. The perfect place to do that for a husband and wife is in a children's ministry, serving together to teach and love on kids. You don't know the kid's background. You don't know their home life. You might be the first ever couple that they've seen in the same room together that didn't fight and argue or cuss at each other the whole time. You might be the first person they've ever seen love their wife in that way, husbands. Men, you have got to set an example of what it looks like to be humble. And nothing does that like serving and meeting the needs of kids. Too many kids have grown up with no male influence in their life, let alone a good one. Show them how a man is to love his wife. Show them how a man can teach and play and laugh and maybe even cry. Now, I understand, couples, kids might not be your thing. I get that completely. Pick another ministry. Come serve together in the food pantry. Come serve food together. Come help do things around the building together. There are so many opportunities. Go on a mission trip together as husband and wife. God will provide the opportunity if you have the desire. Let us know. Number four, stay together. Stay together. Did I mention stay together? Now, 
I must always add this in because of the world in which we live. If there is danger, if there is illegal or immoral elements that have entered into a relationship, then leaving might be the only option. Those things are not of God. So leaving that situation is not a sin at all. It's smart and it's probably responsible and it's probably the right thing to do. So do not ever stay because you think it's too sinful to leave. If those are the issue, you must protect yourself and your kids, especially if they're involved. But outside of that, stay together. See, here's our problem with relationships. Nothing stands still in a relationship. Do you realize that? As a couple, you are always doing one of two things. You're always growing closer together or further apart. As believers, we must stay growing closer together. In order to do that, we must intentionally grow closer to Jesus first and foremost. And then if he is at the center of our relationship, he will draw us even closer together. Even if you've come to the point in your relationship right now where both of you might say, you know what, really the only thing we have in common is Jesus. I've got good news for you. That is a great starting point. That is the most important thing you can have in common in the entire universe. Start with him and allow his love for you to draw you back together. We have to fight for our marriages. Giving up is too easy. It is what the world desperately wants us to do, so do not give in. Now, I told you I would get to it later, and that's how we're closing. Maybe you're here today, and you are divorced. Maybe the second I told you what the message today was going to be about, you, you began to spend the entire message in resenting something from your past. Maybe even resenting me for having even talked about this topic this morning. Maybe your divorce was as a result of a personal sin or a bad decision that you or, or your spouse made, or even a series of bad decisions. Maybe the divorce was for one of the reasons absolutely lined out in Scripture that makes it okay. Here's what I want you to know if that's you. First and foremost, if you are in a marriage that has failed, God loves you. And we do too. We do too. We are grateful that you've chosen to be a part of our family. If you're a member of a single parent family, you're the one raising the kids on your own and you hear those statistics and they just frighten you to death. We are so glad that you are here because God can use this family to provide what's missing in those kids' lives. So please, please, we are grateful for you. There is grace in this place. What matters most is not where you've been or what you've done. What matters most is what direction you are going right now. Now, if you're not married yet, as you prepare for that process or seek out that individual that God is preparing for you, first of all, prepare yourself. Make a commitment to God first and for God whenever that relationship comes about that that marriage is for good. I'm going to stay in that marriage. It is absolutely worth it. The joy that comes from the long-term relationship, the joy of growing old, because that's what we all are going to do, with someone that knows you deeply. The joy of that relationship models that relationship that Jesus has with his bride, the church, and it is beautiful. 
I know I didn't get to all the ages. I know we've got folks that have been married barely a year, folks all the way up to 63. We're all in the middle between those things. Here's the reality. Whether you're married or unmarried, given the gift of singleness or not, divorced or not, single parent or not, here's the thing. Church, we must fight for what the Bible tells us marriage is. Because if we do not, who on earth will? The world has given up on marriage. The whole idea If we do not start by loving our spouse right now the way that Jesus loves us, who will love them that way? If we don't set an example for our kids, how will they ever know what marriage is supposed to be? Not that ours is perfect, it's certainly not. But we need to tell them that too. If we don't set that example, how will they know? We're going to end with something a little weird this week. And so I... I'm not going to apologize for it because I think God is the one that's inspired me to do this. But I do know that it could be awkward for various people for various reasons. And so uh, I will apologize for that part. Okay? So here's, here's what I want you to do. I, I challenged you as number one on the list. The most important thing you can do to strengthen that marriage, to fight for your marriage, is to pray together. And I know that there are people in the room that are not married. And so I remember a passage that I mentioned earlier in Hebrews saying that uh, we are all to honor marriage. And so if you're not married today, if you're divorced today, whatever, you're too young to be married yet today, <laughs> that's okay. I want those individuals to all be praying for marriage. You could look around the room. There's a couple in this room. Maybe it's your mom or dad, and they're not sitting with you or whatever. So you could pray for their marriage. Did you know, young people, you could be praying right now for your marriage one day? Did you know as a teenager you could be praying For that future spouse, not that there's only one person in the entire world, God is designed for you. No, 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 that's not how it works. But you can be praying that God reveals that godly man or that godly woman to you so you can have that caring, loving Christian family to bring up children in that safe environment. You can be praying for that. Those of us that that might have been through divorce, maybe this is the time to pray for that ex-spouse, for healing for them. We don't know the situations. We don't know what's going on. Maybe God has given you that gift of singleness out of that broken relationship and you can be thanking God for that gift because it is a gift. Maybe you've lost your spouse in life and they've meant everything to you. Well, they didn't mean everything because Jesus means everything. And then your spouse falls just below that. And so you have lots of other things to pray for. You've probably got kids and you've got grandkids and you've got people in this room that you can pray for. So all of us will have something to pray about, but specifically couples in the room, whether you're dating, whether you're married, whether you've been married for 63 years. We're going to take a moment and just have some silence and allow you to pray together. I issued a seven-day challenge, and I thought, well, how could I possibly issue a challenge and not give you a chance right away to start? I know, so I'm like, oh, I really wish you'd waited. Well, sorry, I'm not going to. And so, uh, yeah, awkward, that's okay, that's fine. I don't mind being the bad guy, it's okay. All right, so I'm going to open in prayer and then just leave a a big moment of silence thereafter. And uh, Dave and the crew will come up and and Don's going to do a communion message at the end of that silence. So whenever Don calls you you back to communion um, to celebrate that together, then that will be the, the end of your time. All right, so let me open. Father God, I want to thank you for the relationship that you have with us. I, I can't believe that we even get to have it. Nothing we could do to earn it. You offer it freely. And so if there's anyone here 
that's outside of a relationship with you. That's so the many problems. That's so much of the, the basis of the problem that we have in this world in our relationships is people don't know how you love them. And Father, if we don't understand how you love us, then there's no way we could properly love someone else because it's only through the love given to us by Jesus that we can then extend true love to anyone else on planet Earth. And so if there's anyone today that's not experienced that love of Jesus, anyone today that feels alone, we'll talk about those relationships as this series goes on. Anyone that's just in need of prayer, of friendship, I pray that today is the day your spirit draws them to you and they begin the most caring, perfect, loving relationship that a human could ever experience. The love of their God who sent his son to die for them. Father, I know we've got all different kinds of folks in the room. What a beautiful picture that is, even in the midst of our brokenness. Father, you've put these pieces of the puzzle together, and you continue to draw more people to yourself through this specific bride of Christ. And so, Father, I pray that we gather around those amongst us who are hurting today, those that might be raising their family on their own, those who might have experienced divorce, those who might have experienced the loss of their spouse, whether it was very recently or it was decades ago. Father, we still need that love and that companionship. And so I pray that we rally around one another in Christian love and we become the family that is needed for those people to experience this life to the fullest. As you say, you came to give us life to the fullest. This is one of the ways we can realize that by sharing that love with one another. I pray for healing in the hearts of those people. And Father, today for the marriages that are in this room and, and watching online, whether short or long, I just pray that you are the center, you're the focus of that marriage. And if, and if that's deviated somehow, some way, and, and they're no longer, you, you are no longer the focus of that marriage, I pray today is the day that you get put right back in the middle where you belong and that everything else can then improve as a result. If there are marriages today that are struggling, I pray that they come forward and we pray over them. If there are marriages today that have been married 63 years and they love their spouse as much today or more than they ever have, I pray that they come forward and we can rejoice with them in that incredible feat that this world is trying to destroy. If there's marriages today with questions, I pray that they come and ask those questions to you. There's so much wisdom and guidance available in a place like this. People that have been through every life situation imaginable. And they can help. And that's why we're here. And so, Fathers, we give some silence here to, to everyone in the room to just pray, whether out loud or quietly to themselves, praying for each other. As a married couple, if they've never done that before, I pray that this is the beginning. And that tonight they can pray together out loud and share their heart with each other and what's going on in their relationship. Father, what a blessing, what a privilege, what an honor it is to be able to come before you with our most intimate relationship that we have here on earth and just lift it up into your hands. morning.